Well, today we continue our way into and through 1 Corinthians. As I've already said in our word of exhortation, we've been using Romans 12 as our little sounding board, as a, as a chance to give us a lens by which we can look at this letter. Makes sense because, while well, one, the scriptures are consistent, but Paul is also consistent. And he's speaking to a church here in Corinth that is floundering. They don't think they're floundering. That's part of the problem, and that's where they're going to get they're going to get a little bit of a tongue lashing today. But but they are floundering, and Paul knows it. They are conforming themselves to the Corinthian way. They're not being transformed to the Christian way, and this is a huge danger. It's it's in some sense it's easy to see when we're talking about Corinthians. Hard to see when we're talking about Americans, because the American way just seems like the way. It's the way you live. It's like we think about heaven. We think everybody will speak English. You know, it's like we just tend to we just tend to view the world around us. It's, oh, cool. What else would they speak? I don't know. It's like we're all going to be Americans there, I guess, um, because we we tend to think of the world in through our lenses. It's, it, it, what other way is there? Like the, all there's all these other odd languages that are trying to say the English thing in their in their language. Well, that we think that way because again we conform ourselves to the pattern of this world. It's it's natural. It's very. It, it, again, it's a supernatural transformation that has to happen. So again, we, I don't want to be too hard on our, our Corinthian, uh, uh, the Corinthians here. We need to take this, hear Paul's rebuke of them, and then turn, it, turn the guns, if you will, on ourselves. So Paul has been challenging them. And you heard Mark read the entire passage of uh, chapter 4 today. Last week, we looked just at verses 1 through 5, where Paul introduced this concept and, and basically said, look, here's who we are. We are stewards of the kingdom. Now, the reason Paul is saying this, you'll remember, is that the Corinthians are beginning to doubt Paul's ministry. Right? Paul, they're now seeing, in light of so many grand speakers, some of them Gnostics, some of them just Corinthian philosophers, who have polish and shine, they're salesmen, they, they're eloquent, they have great rhetorical skill, they're intellectually wise. That now that Paul, when Paul first came and preached the gospel, it was exciting to them. It, 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 by God's grace, it touched a nerve, they believed it, and they wanted to follow it. And here they are now, for a couple of years, they've been a church. But Paul is away, and not only is Paul away, Paul is suffering, and Paul's in prison, and and you've got all these very polished speakers coming in and contradicting some of what Paul said, shaving off some of what Paul said. And this thinking is becoming very attractive to the Corinthians. They're looking back at Paul, and Paul looks a little disheveled, and Paul does not look very impressive, and, and they're beginning to doubt the efficacy, efficacy of his ministry. They really are. And so Paul is writing, Paul's gotten wind of this, and he writes this letter to them to challenge them. As a father, in this very text, he says, you have many guardians. Many people have come in and preached to you. Many people have been traveling salesmen, if you will, spiritually speaking, in and through Corinth, who have given you all kinds of bills of goods. But you have one father. And by this, he's speaking small f father. I'm the one that birthed you. I'm the one that came when there was nothing and brought the gospel to you. I'm the one who truly loves you, and therefore you only have one of them. So when I speak to you, know it's coming from a different place than the guy who travels through, right? The, 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 the pulpit supply guy who, does a, who can do great work, who comes in and says something and moves on to another place. 
Remember, I'm the one who was there with you in the beginning. I love you like, like you're my children. And so hear my words. So Paul is, Paul is going to chastise them here, but in love. In love. So we come to our text this morning, and, and again, Mark read it to us, and I want to break it down into three little sections. The first is Paul's question, his diagnostic question to them. The, the question that he puts to them that he hopes is going to reveal the problem, that's going to sting maybe a little bit, that's going to help them look back at themselves. You know, again, we look through our eyes. We rarely look back at ourselves unless we're in front of a mirror. And Paul's going to put a mirror up in front of them and say, now look at yourselves here for a second. The Corinthian church is a church that is beginning to get very cocky. The Corinthian church is becoming very proud. They're a gifted church. We're going to hear that later in the book. Many of them have amazing spiritual gifts. Some of them even miraculous gifts. Some of them have great gifts of wisdom and insight. They are, they are no doubt a gifted church in many ways. But Paul holds up a mirror here. They're starting to get cocky. They're starting to become self-reliant. They're beginning to doubt the simplicity and even sometimes the embarrassment of Paul's ministry. And so Paul just holds up a mirror and lets them look back at themselves. And he begins, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively uh, transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you might learn not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So Paul asked them this provocative question. What, hey, Corinthians, what do you have? And we can ask this about all of us here. What do you have that you did not receive? Notice the, the words here, right? He didn't say, what do you have that you didn't earn? He says, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that is just of you? Now, you'll remember, let's go back to chapter 1. Paul said, now look at yourselves, Corinthians. There are not many noble, not many wise, not many powerful, but God has chosen the foolish things. In some sense, the Corinthian church in and of themselves is not an oppressive bunch, and yet they have been very gifted by God and in some sense blessed by God. But it's very easy for the Corinthians to take the blessings of God, the gifts of God, and start to feel proud about them. You start to feel proud about attributes you have that you had nothing to do with. You had nothing to do with the color of your hair, your height, maybe physical uh, attributes athletic ability or these kinds of things, intellectual, you, you, had, you had very little to do. Sure, you can cultivate it. Even Paul acknowledges this in the very beginning. I count myself a steward. Notice Paul, the apostle, counts himself as a steward. A steward recognizes he or she has many wonderful things, but as a steward, you recognize they're not yours. They've been given to you. And you are responsible for what you do with them. The image we used last week was turning in the receipts. You all will stand before God. The, the song, the uncomfortable psalm that we just sung about the, the proud man raising his horn and God just lopping it off. 
it is a warning, if you will. I mean, the psalmist is rejoicing in it because he's got all these horns being lifted up against him. You know, you sing songs like that when the enemies are all around you waiting to devour you. We don't sing songs like that because we don't have perhaps that kind of enmity. And that's a question. Why not as the children of God? Why don't we have one? Why don't we have more conflict? But you write songs like that when you feel the enemies all around you and seeming to be victorious. And you sing a song, the day is going to come when God's going to lop their horns off. But you and I will stand before God on that day. Is your horn lifted high? Again, it's very easy when you look at the bad guys in the Bible. You say, oh, look at those bad guys. But the, again, the, the American bad guy in this case is it can be a lot more subtle. It's, it's just the pride of saying what I have is mine. I lift up my horn because I'm proud of these things I have as if they are yours. But Paul is asking the question, what do you have that you have not received? I, says Paul in the text from last week, count myself a steward. And our word of exhortation last week was the parable of the talents. That you, how can the guy with five talents be proud that he has five talents? They're not his talents. They've been entrusted to him. It's an honor. He could feel honored. But tough to feel pride over the talents. They're not his talents. And Paul says, as a steward then, here's how I will be judged by my faithfulness. What have I done with that which has been entrusted to me? And the Corinthians are playing a dangerous game because they are feeling pride over the gifts that have been given to them. Again, our word of exhortation today was Romans chapter 12. Do not think, again, Paul's begging and urging, do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Beware you who stand lest you fall. Do you see yourselves as stewards or do you view the things you have, the attributes you have, the, the money you have, the gifts you have, the experiences you have, the success you have as yours? Well, the Corinthian church thought of it as theirs. And Paul is asking them this provocative question. What do you have that has not you have not received? Again, and if you think honestly about even you say, well, no, I know that's true, but I have earned some of but even your opportunity to earn things, the things you do take a certain measure of American self-independent pride about, in some sense, you only have because you were born here at this time. And, and why were you born in America? Or if you were born in America, you know, why were you born in this period of time and didn't happen to be born during the time of World War I? Well, you may very well have not had the success that you've had or born in some place of utter destitute poverty, born to your parents who had been born where they are because of the hand of God. You had nothing to do with any of this. Now, perhaps you've stewarded it well, but again, you've stewarded what has been given to you. It's not because of you that you have these things. It's not because of me that I have what I have or I am what I am. I just steward what God has given to me. So we have this provocative question, but you can see that we need this question to shake us because we become self, you know, independent people. 
pull yourself up by your bootstrap people. I'll do it myself. But what do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, he says, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Why, why are you acting? If you come to grips with the fact that actually everything you have, you have received, because frankly, as we talked about with the incommunicable attributes of God the other night at the, at the table talk, you can't make yourself exist. Your heart is beating right now. Your, your lungs are, are taking oxygen and, and moving it into your bloodstream and, and moving it to your vital organs and taking the waste of carbon dioxide and you're exhaling them. You're not doing any of that. You're just receiving that gift. And that's life, but you can't even keep yourself existing, which is on a deeper philosophical level. But if these things you can't control, you can't do it. And everything else hinges on that. Then at the end of the day, everything you have, you have received. Then why do you boast? And again, you say, well, I don't boast. Yeah, but we don't boast with our lips. But in our hearts, we feel self-content. We have to be careful of that. So we got to hear Paul's provocative question, not just to the Corinthians, but to us. What do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why do you act like you haven't? Why do you act like it's yours? Why do you take pride in it? Feel better than the people we look on the news and hear their terrible stories. And we go, well, at least we're not like them. Why do we do that? So Paul asks the provocative question. Now, in verse 8, though it's not um, overt, we, we, we get Paul's little diagnostic um, uh, conclusion, if you will. Paul gives a, Paul tells us in some sense, here, here is the problem. In verse 8, now, one thing you have to read, and this is tough because uh, we don't always hear it, and one, we don't expect it in the Bible. But, but 1 Corinthians as a whole is loaded with sarcasm, and chapter 4 especially is just dripping with sarcasm. Now you read this and you might not expect it. You might hear Paul just saying things face value. You know, you're rich, you're wise, you're full. No, he, this is oozing and dripping with, with sarcasm, okay? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign. See, that's his way of saying, yeah, right. I wish it were true, gang. See, you think yourselves are full. You think you're rich. You think you reign. You, you, you're flying high. I think of, of, of Jesus' words to the churches. Now, I wish I knew which church it was. Um, perhaps the church of Sardis. Where he says to them, you think you're rich. I tell you, you are blind, wretched, naked, and poor. But you think you're, which one is it? No, it's not Laodicea. Is it Laodicea? Okay, right, because the blindness. Yeah, you're right, you're right. All right, Mark, thanks. A little correction from the audience. A little audience participation, congregation participation. Y'all do that down in Memphis or Nashville? Church is too big for that. Try it, though. Just try it. Just shout now. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so the Laodiceans. You think, you think you are rich. I tell you, you are blind, wretched. Now, by the way, this isn't like John saying, hey, guys, here's my diagnosis. In that letter, it's Jesus talking like that. I always ask my students, I say, do you think of Jesus as talking like this? 
If he talks like that to the Laodiceans, what makes us think he wouldn't talk like that to them? You think you're rich. You think you're full. You think you see clearly. I tell you, you're blind, wretched, naked, and poor. And Paul is speaking in that way with that, with that sarcasm. You're already full. You're already rich. You already reign as if you were kings. I wish it were so, he said. Because if it were so, we'd be reigning with you. Look, at the end of the day, God wants you to be rich. At the end of the day, God wants you to be healthy. At the end of the day, God wants you to be kings and he wants you to reign. And trust me, brothers and sisters, you will. You will be. You will be infinitely rich. You will be perfectly healthy. You will reign with the world at your feet. You will judge angels. But not yet. But not yet. And the Corinthian problem is that, and, and by the way, the, the problem with so much of the health, wealth, gospel stuff that goes on in this country is that they think they have now what God has promised for then. In theology, we call this an overrealized eschatology, but that, that's a technical term. But an overrealized eschatology is just taking what God has promised in glory and trying to have it now. And the Corinthians think they have it now. We reign. We're sitting on top of the world. But Paul, if you remember back in the text, if you just look back up to verse 5, Paul's conclusion of that little text last week said, therefore judge nothing before the time. And you're doing that. We, we looked at how we might do that. You know, you share the gospel with somebody, you say they're never going to believe. And you fall prey to judging something before the time. You have no idea what the Lord will do. Plant that seed and just watch what God does. And maybe he'll use it unto judgment. Maybe he'll use it unto salvation. But don't judge something before the time. Be patient and trust the work of the Lord. But this also comes back to us. Be careful judging something before the time. Be careful judging gifts as if they are God bestowing on something, uh, something upon you because you are worthy. Be, be careful that you don't judge your gifts as being affirmations from God. Right? That, that if I receive, that's God's benediction on me. That's God's blessing upon That's God affirming me in who I am and what I'm doing within his kingdom. No, to whom much is given, much is required. What is given to you may very well be tests, not just affirmation of who you are. And the Corinthians were judging things before the time. Ah, I see what God's doing here. He's gifting me with this because we are an honored church. Or he personally, he's gifting me with this because I'm an honored individual. No, not necessarily. It may very well be that, but it may not be that. And that's the problem. You're judging things before the time. Paul says, I wish it were the case that you were reigning because then we'd all be reigning. Well, that would be awesome. But it's not the case. And so Paul concludes with his urging. I told you today there would be a apostolic urging. Just as in Romans chapter 12, we have uh, his call, I beseech you, brethren, to, to count your bodies. Here, here's how you should think, Paul says to the Romans. Here's how you should think. Your body, your life is to be put on an altar as a living sacrifice. Let, let that be the metaphor you have. That's your reasonable service. Here, in our text, in verse 16, we have his urging to the Corinthians. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, you read that as a new Christian and go, my goodness, this arrogant man. You know, who says that? 
<laughs> Who says imitate me? Well, a dad. A dad. Who's training his children. Right? A master who's training an apprentice. He says, watch how I do it and imitate me. And Paul's not a, Paul's not a novice. Paul's been broken. Paul was the arrogant man. Paul was the man who thought he had it all. You'll remember in Philippians 3, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law, blameless, as to a, as to a, a, a zeal, a persecutor of the church. I mean, Paul was riding high. Paul was so proud of who he was. And the Lord met him on the road to Damascus and broke him. And Paul was emptied. And then could be filled, and he was filled with apostolic authority. And he and he went off for several years to ask the Lord, okay, what does this mean now? And he was emptied and filled, and he came back a new man. He's no longer Saul, he's Paul, and he's humble. This sounds like arrogance, but this is a humble Paul saying, imitate me. Not an arrogant Paul. This is a humble master who has been broken and who has learned the craft, if you will, who has learned the posture that's required of an apostle and required of a child of God. This is a dad who has the hard lessons of life, who says to his son, to his daughter, I love you. Watch what I'm doing and follow me. Don't make the mistakes I've made. That kind of thing. It's not arrogance. It's love. It's love. Imitate me as I imitate my father. Imitate me as I imitate my Lord. Now, here's where it gets dicey, right? Because the imitation of the master now requires us, okay, what does the master say about himself? And here, now we jump back to verse 9. So Paul has just said, oh, you know, you, you, you guys are judging yourselves before the time. I wish it were so, but it's not. And then he continues it in verse 9, and and I, the reason I mention, I go back here now is because if Paul's going to say, imitate me, okay, well, what does Paul say about himself? For I think, Paul says, that God has displayed us, that is the apostle. So he's just told the Corinthians, I know you guys, you, it's hard for you even to hear this. You're so rich. You're so powerful. You're so gifted. You're so noble. You guys are like kings. But us? The apostles, but I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and men. And here the image is, is that, that the, everybody marching into the Colosseum, and you got the nobility way up there at the front, and maybe Caesar himself. But if not, the local ruler, and then behind him, all the nobles and the patricians of Rome, and then behind them, the, the warriors. And then last of all, here come the guys dragging the chains. And these are the men coming into the Colosseum, condemned to die. And Paul says, now I know, I know you guys. I know you guys are way up there in the front. You guys are like kings. But I think what God has done with me and with us is he's put us at the back of the line. We're the schlubs dragging the chains, coming in condemned to die. I think God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you, see the sarcasm, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. 
to the present hour, we both, now he's talking about the apostles. Right now, here's our status. At the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. But I know you guys are kings. You guys, you guys are the noble ones. I know. I know how great you are. And you can't even see us back here on the back of the line, we apostles. But we have nothing. I'm down, I've been, you know, he's going to do this again in 2 Corinthians. Apparently they need to hear it again. When he lists out his credentials there, you know, I was beaten, I was stoned, I was whipped, I was beaten with rods, I was thrown in prison, I was shipwrecked two times. You know, dangerous in the country, dangerous on the road, dangerous here, dangerous. That's the apostolic calling because this is the path of Christ. And, And it's in that context that Paul says, imitate me. Get off your high horse. You're not kings. Become a fool for Christ. You are not so wise. Become the off-scouring of the world. You are not noble. And join me where I stand, back at the end of the line, condemned to die. You know why? Because this is where Christ stood. Jesus Christ said, if any man comes after me, he must forsake all things. If any man seeks to save his life, sit at the front of the line, he will lose it. But if any man loses his life for my sake and for the gospels, he will save it. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They don't persecute the guys at the front of the line. It's we, the off-scourings of the world back here, who have to deal with that. But come, come, Corinthians. Come join me. Now, thinking like a Corinthian, being conformed to the pattern of the world, you want to run to the front of the line. But being transformed in the renewing of your mind, you want to turn and run to the back of the line where your Savior is. And he who has given you all things gives them to you, if you will, as a test. Which way will you turn? Will you turn to the front of the line? To the comfy life? To the life of pleasure? To the life of satisfaction? Will you get to raise your horn? Or do you take them and put them to work at the back of the line? like the workers in the parable of the talents, where it comes at great cost, at great risk. But the day will come, Paul knows, because I'm not going to judge things before the time. Paul knows the day is coming when the first shall be last. There's not like, well, some of the first get to remain first. And some of the last, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Those who have forsaken their lives for the sake of Christ, those who view themselves as stewards, called to use what they have for the glory of God, will be kings. And those who have gathered for themselves to be kings will become the off-scourings for all eternity. Paul says, 
I don't write these things to shame you in verse 14. I'm not, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm doing this because I love you. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. I warn you. Brothers and sisters, again, easy to see it in the Corinthians, but the call for us this morning is to see it in ourselves. To see it in ourselves. Where are you in the line? Where do you want to be in the line? Again, the American tug is tugging us to the front of the line. We want the honor. It's fine. We all know we don't want to be, you know, we're not looking to be at the top of the line. We know that. We've given up that. We find it humble amongst ourselves. We wouldn't want to be all the way in the front. I know, but we tend to want to be up toward the front first class. And I don't mean this just in terms of material prosperity, though that's something to be concerned about, of course. But in terms of anything, just in terms of your reputation, in terms of your life. I've shared with you before with terrible conviction that basically, like, I view my life as just trying to avoid death for as long as I can in comfort and peace and then die in my sleep in my old age at the same time as Christina. Like that, if I could just have that life, I'd be like, yes. <laughs> and it's like, that's horrible. <laughs> like Paul would say to me, he would view that vision of life as just trying to live a basically comfortable life avoiding death and terrible illness for as long as I can dying in my sleep in old age the same time as my wife he would view that just like the Corinthians like you're 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 trying to live like a king but that's not what you've been called to do you're a steward you're burying a talent in the ground you're you're called to be the off-scouring. You're, you're called to be on a mission. You're, you're called to be at work. You're called to have spiritually calloused hands and a sweaty brow. And that's what you're called to do. And, and so I, that's, sort of the, that's sort of the middle-class American Corinthian problem. And we should not think it any better than these cocky Corinthians. So we've got to hear it. Do we hear Paul's words? Everything you've had, you've received. Be careful you don't try. That life, that life of freedom from suffering and peace and contentment, the things I long for, the things you probably long for, God wants them for you. You're going to have them for all eternity. You're going to have them for all eternity. It's like, it's like not wanting to exercise because you don't like sweating and working. You just, you'd rather sit down and enjoy a nice cold drink. Yeah, you can do that after you're done running. Now is the time of the running. Now is the time of the cross. Then is the time of glory. But the glory is certain, and it's coming. So work. Be the off-scouring. Get on the back of the line. Hear the warning of your father, small f. But through him, the warning of your heavenly father. And know that it comes from love. He loves you. And no one else is going to tell you this. No TV commercial is going to tell you this. Right? None, none of the, the, the popular you know, celebrities are going to tell you this. The marketers aren't going to tell you this. Only your father's going to tell you this. So brothers and sisters, and trust me, I hear it being preached to me as I say it. Let us imitate Paul. And in so doing, imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. Who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we, 
many times tend to be Americans first. We're American Christians rather than Christians who happen to live in America. We pray that you'd forgive us for this. We confess that we tend to be conformed to the pattern of our world, the world in which we live. We feel the magnetic pull of the front of the line. Our heads are oriented there. We confess that. We pursue comfort now. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear the word of God today, to be chastened by it, to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, who is the glory of the Father. Help us not to judge things before the time or to want now what you have promised later. Instead, help us to use our lives as resources to serve you. So be with us to that end, we pray. Make us faithful as we leave this place that we might put these things into action in the days, months, years to come until you call us home as good and faithful servants. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.